remain here today and those online. First of all, if you're a guest, uh, thank you so much for being here uh, today. There are great churches all over, and you chose to be with us. We don't take that for granted, and we pray that you feel welcome and blessed for being here. Uh, this is sometimes a sad part of the year for those who like sports. If you enjoy sports, raise your hand if you enjoy sports. All right, we got a good number of people that enjoy sports. So basketball's done. Football hasn't started yet. Hockey's done. You're left with baseball. And baseball, a lot of people love who likes baseball. Okay, a lot of people like baseball. But baseball sometimes isn't as fun when your team is not doing well. I'm not going to say anything or talk about records because Lord knows my team is in first place, the Milwaukee Brewers, but they always, they have played and won zero World Series championships, so I can't say anything. Uh, but in honor of some of the sports fans here today, I want to play a little trivia game with you. What, what do the following teams have in common over the last three years? Major League Baseball. The Houston Astros and the Tampa Bay Rays. NHL, Tampa Bay Lightning, Montreal Canadiens, and Dallas Stars. NBA, Boston Celtics, Phoenix Suns, Miami Heat. NFL, this word's going to give it away. Cincinnati Bengals, Kansas City Chiefs, and San Francisco 49ers. Anyone know what those teams have in common? What is it? Second place, lost in championships. You are correct. All of these teams I just listed finished second place. That's really quite the accomplishment, honestly. I know that you're kind of like, well, don't even mess with my team. I'm not really messing with my, my teams. Find a way to blow big games, and that's fine. Um, but it really is quite an accomplishment when you have millions and billions of dollars being spent in athletics and out of all the teams in your entire league you finished you were the second best team and in many of these cases they still have a, a some type of a trophy for the conference that they won but as a fan did you celebrate your team's second place finish I mean, years from now, as Chiefs fans, are we going to be telling our kids, oh, you should have been there the year we lost to Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. We took second place. It was awesome. No, Tom Brady might still be playing when our kids are. <laughs> I don't think Pastor Chad celebrated when the San Francisco 49ers, he was happy live in Kansas City and see the championship, but I think he would have preferred to gloat a little more and have the Niners win. In American culture, we tend to celebrate the champion, the first place finisher, the one who conquered all other competitors. I once had a no fear shirt. Date yourself with me. Does anybody remember the no fear brand? Raise your hand if you do. Okay. None of the young people are raising their hand, I guess. They raise your hand if you remember No Fear. Who here had a No Fear t-shirt? Anyone? Got a couple of you. All right. 
So I had a no fear t-shirt that said, second place is the first loser. I'm not saying that's the right mentality, okay? I, already, I, I don't even want to look at Sister Wallard or my mother-in-law right now. I don't, I don't want to look at people that I know would frown upon that shirt, okay? But, but see, I know Sister Wallard's there. Where's Rachel? I want to avoid looking at her, too. Um, oh, she's downstairs. That's good for me today. Um, I'm not saying it's the right mentality. I, I, uh, I, I got corrected. As long as she's downstairs, might as well tell this story, right? Um, I got corrected by my mother-in-law my first year. So I didn't grow up a Bible quizzer. My wife did. She swore she was only going to marry a Bible quizzer. Thankfully, she settled and didn't, married me. Um, but uh, I went to my first year of quizzing, and I don't really know. Like, like some of you that have gone, you're like, I feel so dumb. I don't even know the answers. I was like, I- I'm still learning, okay? You're leaning over. Why did they get that wrong? Now, what's the interruption? Why did they count that? What's the foul? You're trying to figure it all out because it's intense. And so there is, the, there is the, the first bracket and second bracket. That's what I've learned. But I didn't know that in, in one. So Kira loses a quiz. And I'm like trying to be just an uplifting person, not meeting anything bad. I was like, guys, no, we got this. We can come up through the losers bracket. That's <laughs> what we call it in sports. My mother-in-law looked at me. Gary. It is not a loser's bracket. I was like, well, what do you call it? It's second bracket. I was like, consolation bracket. I was like, okay, guys, we can come up through the consolation bracket. But I just called it in sports. We're like, hey, we got the loser's bracket. We can come up and win the loser's bracket and play for the championship. That was, I didn't, but, but I guess verbiage is important. And my mother-in-law quickly trained me in Bible quizzing verbiage. I'm not going to lie. I err sometimes. It's shocking. You're not going to believe this. I err sometimes on the side of competitive. So much that when my friends, when I brought Jackie as my girlfriend, and we went to Wisconsin, and I said, yeah, you guys got to meet my beautiful girlfriend. And we're getting ready to play uh, some board games or card games or something. And all of my friends are like, Jackie, you sure you're ready for this? Like, you don't, he is so competitive. I hope you know what you're getting into because uh, if you like him, you need to be aware of this. He's a competitive guy. We played a round of games that night, and by the end of the night, my friends were saying, Gary, are you sure you know what you're getting into? (laughs) Because I finally met somebody who I think is more competitive than me. And so, anyway, if you interact with my kids, all three of them have a double dose. Just be patient with them. Uh, I can't believe I'm going to say this publicly, but here's the title of the message today. I like second. Now, that just contradicts everything that I just said. But I want to talk to you because I like second. Joseph started off his life in the Bible, kind of liking the limelight. At least it seemed like he did. We weren't there. We don't know for sure, but it seemed like he liked the limelight. God started giving Joseph dreams, and Joseph wanted to tell those dreams. You get a dream, he, tell, he, he wanted to tell people about it. In Genesis 37, this is the account of Jacob and his family. When Joseph was 17 years old, 
He's 17. I don't know about you when you were 17, but you just kind of feel like you got the world by the tail. You, you got the answers. And then you don't know what your parents know until you get older. And you're like, yeah, you know, they knew a thing or two. Um, but he was 17, and he often tended his father's flocks. He worked for his half-brothers, the sons of father's wife, Bilhah and Zilpah. And, but Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things that his brothers were doing. Tattletale. Nobody likes a tattletale. Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day Joseph says, I got a special gift, a beautiful robe and what becomes known as the, the coat of many colors. Okay? This was not just like, for me that would have been like in high school, like the starter jackets, you know, pullover starter jackets. Anybody have one of those? <laughs> Only four cool people in this place. Five, all right. Um, my dad, my dad was strict. He wouldn't let me have one. He said, when people wear it, they act punky. That's what he said. I don't know. So, and I certainly wasn't going to be punky. I just found other ways to be punky, but not without a, without a starter jacket though. And so he gives him a beautiful robe, a coat of many colors, which in that day to have all of a multicolored robe, it's not like they were just going to Kohl's with their coupon from using your, would you like to use Kohl's cash? Like they weren't just going and grabbing a robe from the local vendor, like that was incredibly costly to have that type of garment. It says, someone cares about me. All right, so his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. One night, Joseph had a dream, and so that sets a beautiful stage. He has a dream, and he, he, he wants to tell his brothers about his dream. Listen to this dream, guys. We were in the field tying up bundles of grain. Suddenly, my bundle stood up and all of your bundles bowed down to my bundle. Isn't that awesome? His brothers responded and said, So you think you're going to be our king? They hated him. Do you think you're going to actually even reign over us? He said they hated him more than because of his dreams and because he talked to them about his dreams. And soon Joseph had another dream. And again he tells his brothers, because he was missing the fact they didn't like the first one. I've had another dream. The sun, moon, and stars, they all bowed down to me. This time he told his father the dream as well as his brothers. But his father scolded him. What kind of dream are you going to have? Your mom and I are going to bow down to you. And while his brothers were jealous of Joseph, his father was wondering... What do these dreams mean? You see, Joseph was in first place in his father's book, and he had the trophy to show it. The coat of many colors. Now, he could have just been excited to share his dream with his brother. It was just innocent excitement. I got a dream, and I want to tell you guys about it. <laughs> but probably not. I'm thinking that he got sick of being the little runt in the family. And he wanted to tell his big brothers about, you know, dad likes me and look and I'm special. I'm sure he probably was pretty excited to tell them that dream. His dad eventually sends Joseph out to the fields. He says, go check on your, your older brothers. They're out in the field. I want you to go check on them, okay? And scripture actually tells us. Now, a coat of many colors is worth a lot. But Joseph's really excited about his gift, and so Scripture actually tells us, when you go out to work in the yard, this is not how, granted, some of you think I sleep in a suit. <laughs> New people that come to the church, when they run into me outside of church, they're like, what? I, I, I thought you wore a suit all the time. Yes, I sleep in suits. I brush my teeth in suits. I shower in suits. Yeah. So, 
So he, 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 uh, he goes out and scripture tells us that he wore the coat of many colors out to check in on his brothers. Now, right off the bat, we, can, we miss that piece of scripture sometimes, but you're like reading that going, yeah, so that's probably not a smart idea. They're out there in the field. They're dirty, sweaty, working, and he comes out, hey, guys, hang on, I got a button in my coat. Dad just sent me to check on you. I'm going to be returning back so me and Dad can have a nice dinner together. I figured I'd wear my coat today. You guys doing well today? I'm going to head back now to home because I'm not working today like you are. And so they're not happy. And so rather, and so his brothers decide, you know, I'm, I'm, this is the easiest thing. Let's just kill him. Let's kill him. That's how much I don't like him. Genesis 37, 23, Joseph arrived. His brothers ripped off the beautiful robe he was wearing. Isn't it interesting that the, right when he arrives, they go for the one tangible thing. Why? Because what we wear is often a reflection of what's inside. And so he, they tore that off. And they grabbed him and threw him into the cistern. And now the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. And so they weren't trying to drown him. Maybe they were. I don't know. They might have been shocked there was no water. But just as they were sitting down to eat, they looked up and saw a caravan of camels in the distance coming. It was a group of Ishmaelite traders taking a load of gum, balm, and aromatic resin from Gilead down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain by killing our brother? We'd have to cover up the crime instead of hurting him. Just sell him to the Ishmaelites. And, and, and after he's his brother, our, fresh, our flesh and blood. And so they agreed. So when the Ishmaelites, were, who were Midianite traders, came by, Joseph's brothers, pulled them out of the cistern and sold them for 20 pieces of silver. That sounds familiar. The traders took him to Egypt. Sometime later, Reuben returned to get Joseph out of the cistern. When he discovered Joseph was missing, he tore his clothes in grief, and he went back to his brothers and lamented, the boy is gone, what am I going to do now? Because it was his probably responsibility. So then the brothers killed a young goat and dipped Joseph's robe in its blood. They sent the beautiful robe to their father with this message, look what we found, doesn't this robe belong to your son, not our brother, to your son? Their father recognized it immediately. Yes, he said, it's my son's robe, a wild animal must have eaten him, and Joseph Clearly torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes and dressed himself in burlap. He mourned deeply for his son for a long time. His family tried to comfort him. He refused to be comforted. I will go to my grave mourning my son. He would say that and then he would weep. Meanwhile, the Midianite traders arrived in Egypt where they sold Joseph to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Potiphar was the captain of the palace guard. So in one day, Joseph lost his trophy his coat of many colors, his family, and his dreams in one day. It was not a good day for Joseph. It's not like he knew where the Midianites were taking, what was going to transpire, what was coming of it. It's not like he could try and post something on social media, send a letter for, through the postal service. He couldn't call 911. He was just stuck. I mean, you talk about hopeless, instantly hopeless. This was it. And so in just one trip, Joseph went from being the first in the household right down to the bottom of the barrel and being a slave, sold for just a number. 
But even though, uh, even though Joseph may have felt done, God, he was still with him. You see, Genesis 39, 2, the Lord was with Joseph. He had been sold to Potiphar. And so he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this and realized the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. Tiffany just talked about that. It's amazing that God will use men to bless us. When we do what's right, when we make the sacrifice, when we are faithful, God doesn't just bless you. God uses other people to bless you. And so this, he, he, he was successful, and so this pleased Potiphar. So he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household, everything he owned. From the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household now. I would make the argument, I've said this in the pulpit before, some of the businesses you work for are literally blessed because of you. His household, now he's, he's blessed because Joseph, since the minute he elevates Joseph, his household starts being blessed. All his household affairs ran smoothly. His crops and livestock flourished. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. With Joseph there, he didn't worry about a thing except what kind of food to eat because we never stop worrying about that. <laughs> Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man. So Joseph rose back up. He's no longer just a slave. He becomes second in command over the entire house of this powerful man. Everything ran through him. But guess what? He was still just second. Seemed like a decent deal considering he was sold as a slave, but it didn't last because Potiphar's wife just says he was a handsome, well-built man. And so Potiphar's wife noticed that he was a handsome, well-built man. And when she tried to seduce him, he took off and left his coat with her. This poor guy can't seem to keep a hold of his coat. Leaving his coats everywhere. It's like my kids. But so far, Potiphar's wife lies and, and, and she gets Joseph arrested and thrown back to prison. Joseph's going, here we go again. He lost his trophy again, his prestigious job. No doubt, even as a slave, you walk through the market and say, there's Joseph. Man, that's, that, that guy's in charge of Potiphar's whole house. Potiphar was, he was up there. And now, now Joseph, he runs everything to do with Potiphar. No doubt that he was well known even as a slave. His family still no longer is in his life. And he still has these dreams that just don't seem like they're going anywhere. He'd never been locked up in the Egyptian prison. There was no hope, no attorney to represent him. It's not like he said, oh, yeah, you are a liar. I'm calling jungle law. I'll tell you what, that is some crazy advertising, but it does a good job. I mean, you got Tarzan running on the thing. If I'm getting in trouble, I'm probably calling Jungle Law just because I see the billboards. There's no court-appointed attorney to represent him. It's just, no, she said it, you're out. That's it. But something happened in that prison in Genesis 39, 21. The Lord was with Joseph. How many times have we read that? 
in the prison and showed him his faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. Before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisons. Prisoner, I don't know. That doesn't seem like that happens. Okay, I have not been to prison, and I hope I don't. And I hope I'm never going to go, unless it's for ministry. But hopefully, I get to leave under my own terms. But I can't imagine that it's kind of the normal. Like, yeah, you're in charge. I'm leaving. Like, he's in charge of all the prisoners as a prisoner. And everything that happened in that prison. The warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. The Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. Wow. God begins to elevate Joseph again. He went from just a worthless prisoner to second in command in the prisoner. Seems like a pretty decent deal for living the prison life. Hey, you're, you're running everything around here. But he was still just second. Everything he in, interprets a dream in this prison for a butler of the Egyptian pharaoh. And, and, and when pharaoh himself has a dream that no one can interpret, the butler remembers, wait a second, that's right, I was, supposed to, I was supposed to tell you about this guy because he interpreted my dream and said I was going to be back here and here I am. And, and I know nobody here in the Egyptian court can interpret your dream, but I think this guy could do it. So Joseph walks into Pharaoh's courts and proceeds to give God glory in front of Pharaoh. Genesis 41, it says, it is beyond my power to do this because Pharaoh says, you need to interpret my dream. Hey, I can't do it. He says, beyond my power, but God can tell you what it means and set you at ease. So Pharaoh proceeds to tell Joseph his dreams and God comes through he gives, which, could you imagine that, too? Like, you're listening to the dream. I don't know. Maybe he had such an unbelievable level of confidence. Maybe he had gone so low that he didn't worry at all because he knew, like, if I tell you the wrong thing, what's going to happen? I'm going to prison. I already live there. So maybe he wasn't scared. But you think about it. If, if you're known for being an interpreter of dreams and you get pulled up and the whole Pharaoh's court is watching you, and he goes, here's my dream. I'm putting myself in that spot. My knees would be knocking together going, God, let me have the interpretation, please. Please let me have the interpretation. And so he says, he, he, he tells him, and he says, but God can tell you, and he'll put you at ease. So Pharaoh proceeds to tell him, and God comes through, gives him the, the, the interpretation, and Pharaoh decides to elevate Joseph. Genesis 41, 38, so Pharaoh asked his officials, can we find anyone else like this man so obviously filled with the Spirit of God? Now, pause there, because I pray to God that we all live our lives to where everyone who interacts with us says, it doesn't matter if they're a slave, if they've elevated their second command down in the dome, wherever, wherever they are. But I'll tell you this thing. That person is obviously filled with the Spirit of God. Even someone who's not a believer, he does not know Joseph's God, but he looks at Joseph and says, based on what I'm seeing and hearing, you are filled with his Spirit. Oh, I want that to be said of every single one of us. And so, what do you want to be known as? 
Verse 38, Pharaoh says to Joseph, Since God has revealed the meaning of the dreams to you, clearly no one else is as intelligent or wise as you are. You will be in charge of my court, and all my people will take orders from you. Only I, sitting on my throne, will have higher rank than you will have. What an exciting day! I'm no longer in the prison. I've been elevated to the palace. That's, a, that's an incredible day. You want to talk about a promotion. That's an incredible. Joseph's no longer living in the prison. He's now going to have power and authority throughout the entire land over everyone except for Pharaoh. So there's still this one thing. He's still just second. In one day, Joseph went from first in his father's house to slavery. And then in another single day, goes from a slave into Potiphar's house. Then in another single day, he went from Potiphar's house to prison. And then in another single day, he went from prison to the palace. Folks, you're sitting here, you're watching online. No doubt, you have situations in your life. There's things that you're dealing with that some people know about. There's things that you're dealing with that literally no one else knows about. There's things that you might be dealing with that your spouse and your family don't even know what you're struggling with. But you might be sitting here stressing about your current situation, wondering why God forgot you. Why did he leave you alone? Why are you feeling hopeless and helpless? But if you will just continue to trust God, if you will just keep serving him faithfully, God has the power and the authority to change your entire situation in just one day. One day. I know sometimes we say, here's where I am. There. I, I don't know how I'm ever going to get there. God has the power and authority to have one person call you with one job offer, one accepted offer, one moment at the, at the altar, one moment in the waters of baptism, just one moment, one moment to where all of a sudden the communication in your marriage begins to change and things go for the better. Just one, in one day, God can completely, he has the power and authority to change everything. You know, that would be a pretty good Disney movie. Grab the guy from the prison and then just elevate. Actually, no, that's right. They already made one of those. Prince of Egypt. Wasn't that a Disney movie? Did you notice the, uh, well, that was, that, was that about Moses? That was about Moses. But Joseph, I mean, that's a good Disney movie. The guy from the, the, guy from the prison and raise him up. I'm not up on my Disney movies. Is there one of those two? There is. See? See? The Prince of Egypt. So I'm right. I need to polish up on my Disney movies. What is it? Dream words? Dreamworks? I'm, I'm, bo I'm botching this. So anyway, see the movie about Joseph. Did you see the same things that were said about Joseph, though, over and over again? Genesis 39, 6. Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility. With Joseph there, he didn't worry about a thing. Then Genesis 39, 21 to 23. Before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of other prisons over everything that happened in the prison. 
verse 23, it says, the warden had no more worries because Joseph was there to take care of everything. Joseph may have been discouraged, frustrated, scared, angry, but he kept being faithful to God. And you at times, you're going to be scared, frustrated, angry, confused, feeling helpless. Where are you, God? What's going on? But if you will just remain faithful to God. Sometimes the key is not even, just keep doing this. You got to do this. And then God will do this. The key to this Christian walk is just keep being faithful. Now, that doesn't preach as exciting as other topics. There's a lot of other topics that I can preach that you would get much more excited about than you are right now. And I would get much more excited speaking them than I am right now. But the key to what God is going to do in your life and your family is even when you feel discouraged and frustrated and confused, you just got to keep being faithful. Faithful in finances. Faithful in service. Faithful in worship. Faithful in prayer. Faithful in going to small groups. Faithful in coming to church. Faithful in coming to the altar. Faithful to your spouse. Everything is about, you will be what God wants you to be if you will simply be faithful. I believe it's Ryan Stevenson that sings a song about that. He come, combines with uh, Amy Grant, and he talks about singing, find me faithful. Not necessarily in front of the crowds, on the platform, on the stage, but my goal in life is, Lord, that you will find me faithful. And if we will be faithful in the midst of everything else, God will, God cannot, he can only, not only change your situation, but everyone else around you can find out more about who he is just by you being faithful. And here they are. The prison warden's going, hey, I don't worry about nothing. This guy's got it. Pharaoh says, I don't worry about nothing. This guy's got it. He kept being faithful, kept serving with integrity and excellence. It would have been so easy as a, as a nice-looking, well-built man in a house where nobody's around that some powerful woman is desiring. You say, you know what? God let me down anyway. Might as well just go for it. But he says, no, I'm a man of integrity. I'm a man with a calling. I'm a man with a dream. I don't know how it's going to transpire. I'm frustrated. I'm confused. I'm a little discouraged, but I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to just keep being faithful to the point where all these people aren't going to worry about anything. Not Potiphar, not the jail warden, not Pharaoh. People saw and sensed the spirit of God, so they trusted him with leadership. Part of you being elevated, part of what we just heard about their story, it's not just a campaign. It's about a, a, two people who are faithful, faithful to one another, faithful to God, faithful in ministry. People who are filled with the Spirit of God, who pray daily, who read His Word, who, who are, are trying to be better people, who are trying to make disciples and make other people better. And so God says, God sees that. And so he says, I, I, other people see that too. And so they say, I'm going to elevate you. Why? The, the homeowner, people are doing this, not just, of course, God's the one that's in control. But as you interact with people, they sense your spirit. And so, but Joseph was never more 
than second. I mean, he started his life. Chances are, at some point in your life, you've had big dreams. Joseph started his life with big dreams. And I'm sure it was to do this and be this and stand up and everyone bows. Yeah. I don't think that when, now I don't know, I wasn't there. But I don't think that when Joseph stood up and started telling his brothers about his dreams and started telling his dad about his dreams, that he was like, you know what, the way I see this dream happening is y'all selling me out, giving me to Ishmaelite traders, getting sold to that guy, somebody lying on me, throwing in a prison, coming, I I mean, I see all this great stuff happening. And in spite of all that, I'm never going to be more than second. I don't think so. I think the dreams in his mind might have been a little bit bigger than that. Might have been a little different. He was second in Potiphar's house, second in the prison, second to Pharaoh. But he changed the entire known world of that time. Sometimes to ascend, you first have to descend. That if every every prayer, no doubt, That especially, I'm talking to you young people, no doubt that there are prayers you have about, oh, one day I want to do this in ministry. I just want to go into this, get my education. Before I'm done, before I'm out of college, that people are going to be knocking down my door for jobs and opportunities in ministry. This happens a lot in Bible college. People think that I go to Bible college and before I'm done, the line just lines up to have my services to come be a full-time employee at their church. It happens all the time. And Bible college students are often very discouraged because they graduate and they don't have, like, the next full-time job lined up. Listen, God can do that. But sometimes God is not going to do things for you where he goes, all right, and you get done with step one, and already step two is knocking on the door. And you open that door, and then before you get to done with step two, step three is the knocking on the door. And you're just like, wow, this is, because you know why? That's not a journey of faith. And faith is the substance of what we believe and what we live. And faith is not sometimes just commissioned by God. It's built. Faith is built through standing in a lion's den. Faith is built through going through a fiery furnace. Faith is built from someone lying on you and putting you in prison. Faith is built when you start building a boat and there it's never even rained before. Faith is built when you have to go up against a giant. Faith is built when you have a call in your life, but no one else sees it and you have to run for your life before you become the king. Faith is built when they're killing all the, the male baby boys and you don't have a deliverer. Faith is built... When you go to the New Testament, and faith is built when they're killing boys again, and you're going, where's our deliverer? Where's our savior? Faith is built, like we talked about last week, where a queen has to go in to save her people. But you see, we love the ends of these stories, but we don't like the journey. And I'm not just talking to young people. I'm talking to adults. You are the same way. You like the ends of the story, but I don't really like the journey. I am here. I just want God to work this out. And I don't like the things that are going to require me to call on God. I just want him to take care of it. 
but faith is built in the fire. Faith is built in the journey. And sometimes you have to, you have to, before you ascend, you have to descend, meaning that God needs you not to just stand up and say, I have a dream and everyone bows down to me. First, you got to go through some things so that when you are finally called for your moment, it's not about you. It's about, I can't do that, but I serve the God who can. I don't know if Joseph was called at 17, if he was called into Pharaoh's court. He may have walked in and said, oh, yeah, I can do it. I do it all the time. But when you go through the Ishmaelite traders into Potiphar's house, into a prison, a uh, baker, a butler that's supposed to let, let him know, and you're forgotten, and you're sitting there in a cell. I don't care if you're a second in command. You're sitting in a cell wondering, is this it? Is this, was this it? Is this all you have for me? That when God does finally call you to the palace, you've gone through enough that you walk in there and say, I can't do this, but I serve a God who can do it. And too many Christians are not ready to be mightily used of God on their workplace and in their community. Why? Because it's too much about you. It's not about you. And that's the hardest thing sometimes is it's never been about us. It's always been about him. And so some of you are called and you might be going through some things and it's easy to lose sight of the dream, to get discouraged. You might lose some things along the way. But here's the thing. You might lose your coat but don't lose your calling. Your calling is to be second. And this is why Jesus prayed in his humanity, not my will, but thy will be done. This is why the Bible says the first shall be last and the last shall be first. What God wants to accomplish through you is not actually about you. This is, this is where I'm, I'm going to bring this message to a close real quick. And not everybody's going to get it. That's not a derogatory thing to say, but some of you are on the precipice of what God wants to do in your life. Now, I'm praying that if you will tune in, that you will receive this, because what God wants to do through you is not actually about you. It's about him. Titus looks around, why did you call me to this place? He says, for this cause called I you to, you to Crete. Because it was about what God was trying to do in a place. It was not, and that's one of the things that we just struggle with. As we pray for comfort and as we pray for healing and as we pray for God to do this and provide this and let me have that. God loves you. He loves you and he's gone to prepare a place for you. He adores you. But he does not care about your comfort. I know some of you, even that statement, you disagree with me. God is not just saying, I just want you to be comfortable. I want to give you everything you have. I don't want you to ever be sick. I don't want anything to ever happen. And, and, and when it does, something goes wrong. Where are you? Why do you let this happen? I do this. I do that. God, why would you let me do? Lord, I'm asking for this. He's more interested in developing you than he is making you comfortable because if he's just desiring he does not he, we don't exist just god help me just to be comfortable help me to have everything i want and we pray these prayers and we get mad at him when he doesn't respond but he is going no i have a calling for you 
I have anointed you for such a time as this, Esther. Oh, yes, we celebrated the story last year, but we, last week, but we didn't take into effect that she was ripped from her family. She was raised in a kingdom where she was probably just one of many women. She didn't even see her husband for 30 days. Do you think that Esther was living the good life, living the dream? No, she was in that palace for one purpose, because God wanted to use her life to save his people. But her life was not just all, oh, what a beautiful and games life. As David was rushing from cave to cave and spears thrown his head, as Joseph was being lied at and put down in prison, God says, yeah, but I have to do this not only to get you to where I want you to be, but I'm going to save my entire people and provide food for them based on what I'm doing through your life right now. But in the meantime, his journey was not all fun. It was not, he, people were lying. He was thrown in prison. He was let down by his own family. He was living a life that was full of agony at times. But God accomplished all he wanted to accomplish. And he used his life. And no doubt, the apostles, hey, the city, the eternity, it's going to be uh, on 12 foundations of the apostles. Oh, no doubt, God keeps good records. Heaven, I believe he's going to recognize heroes of faith. I believe it. Hebrews 11 lists out heroes of faith. God keeps good records. Where we get messed up is we think that the record should be kept right here, and he should give me a nice car and a nice house and no health issues, and my son shouldn't have diabetes because I'm a pastor, and I'm working for him, so that should never happen. And somewhere along the line, we think that what God is trying to do is based on our comfort because I'm first. No, I'm actually second. And my life exists to not only bring him glory, it'll exist to further his kingdom. And he looks to see what can he, if, if my life is wholeheartedly consecrated for him, it's not the absence of the trials it's the fact that I'm going to go through the trials knowing how many times do we read? He was put in a prison, but God was with him. He was lowered down. Potiphar's wife lied on him, but God was with him. That no matter what, everywhere he went, God was still with him. And so how he chooses to accomplish his purpose in us is up to him. It's not up to us. And I know we this, the, oh, the faster we can embrace this, the more joyful we will be. The faster we can embrace this, the more joyful we will be to know my life exists not just to accomplish my dreams and my hopes and my aspirations. You gave me a dream, and how you get me from the dream to the, to the fruition of that dream to where it actually is accomplished is going to be a journey. And in that journey, there's going to be some pits. There's going to be some, some backstabbing. There's going to be some pain. There's going to be some, some wondering where you are. Why did you let this happen? But even in all of that, I will be a person of integrity. And I will be a, pay, a person who is faithful. 
I will be faithful in everything I do. I'm not going to stop. Oh, yeah, well, I'm not giving tithes. God ain't blessed my finances. And I had three things happen this past week. You're not faithful. I'm going to stop coming to church because all this stuff happened to me, and he don't know where I'm at anyway. You're not faithful. The thing is, is we have to say, God, I'm going to be faithful because my faithfulness to you and the things that I do in worship unto you it was never based on my circumstance anyway. That's why I got, no matter if I get the doctor's diagnosed, if I, get, if I have financial issues, if I have a, a relational issues, if people do hurt me, if something happens that I thought God should have already stepped in by now, gave me that promotion, did all this, whatever it is, God, my faithfulness in worship is not based on what has or has not happened in my life. It's because you are who you said you are, and my life exists to bring you glory. I'm not saying you just need to make me comfortable now, God. Take Because guess what? Right now, I could give you a list of things that I would change. I would change a couple of health things. I would change a couple of financial things. I would change some of the problems I've had recently. I would, I would make a few changes, even though I'm a blessed guy. I would make some changes, but those changes are for my comfort. That's why some of you will hear me when I pray for you in sickness. I will say, God, please heal their body, not only for their comfort. I pray for my son, not only so that, oh, he doesn't have to take shots and have a pump and have a Dexcom and do all this stuff. That is absolutely, I'm not going to lie. As a dad, I want that gone. But I'm also saying, God, let this happen so that you would receive in just an inordinate amount of glory that, that everything as a result of this will point to who you are, that it will point to your power and your authority. But if you don't, yet will I praise thee, yet will I worship thee, because you are worthy even if my circumstance has me in a prison right now. I know that in one day I can go from prison to palace in just a moment. One touch from the master's hand and the issues of blood can be healed and the issues of eyesight can be healed and heart issues and stomach issues and back issues and diabetic issues. It can be healed in one moment. But if you choose not to, I will not live bitter because my story exists to further your story. The faster we can get that, the more joyful we can be. And that's why when Joseph gets reunited for his brothers, he looks at them and they, they're freaking out because, oh my God, he's going to kill me. He says, no, what you meant for harm, God has meant for good. He did not say, this has been an exciting journey. It's actually been pretty fun. I've enjoyed this. He looks at me. He did not say any of that. He simply says, you meant harm, but I see that my life was never in your hands. People might hurt you either on purpose or on accident, but when someone tries to cause you pain and they say things about you, you can look at them and you can find forgiveness and love in your heart for them because you can look at them and go, you mean this for evil, but I know that God's doing something through your actions in me because you don't have that kind of control. He looked at his brother and said, you can't ruin my life. My life was in God's hands in every step along the way, through every challenge, through the backstab and through the lying, through the pit, through the prison. God 
God has been with me. And each step along the way, he's with me and he's developing me to get me to this moment. But guess what? This has never been just about me and my ministry and what I'm doing and I preached and these people got the Holy Ghost and I did that. And I no, no, it's never been about me. This has always been about God and he got me to this point to use me to save an entire nation. Why? Because it's never been about me and you. We have always been called to be second. It's always been about his story, his kingdom, his message. And that's why he's able to look at his brothers and forgive them. He knew I don't have to finish first to be number one in the world. He says, you know what? I can change my world by knowing my place in the story. And if you're here today and you say, man, I'm not the most talented, the best looking. I don't come from the best pedigree. My parents this. I didn't have this. I don't have the most money. I'm not even educated. Didn't finish high school. Whatever it is that you're dealing with, you are coming at it all wrong. When it was time to save his people in the book of Genesis, God had to get the pride out of the person. Why? Because God cannot use someone who's in it for themselves, who says, well, I have this to offer, and I'm going to do this, and I've worked hard, and I'm this, and I'm going to do this, and I get up, and I tend to do this. My ministry, it's never been about us. When he got the pride out of the person, what he did is in one day, he elevated a prisoner to the palace in one day. And so as I close, you just remember this. God created Adam. In the book of Genesis. But then God took on flesh and Bible calls Jesus the second Adam. And guess what? I like that second one better. God formed and fashioned you in the womb. You were born on a specific date in history. But then there's another date later where you were born again. At a later date. You repented of your sins. You were washed in the wonderful name of Jesus and received his spirit. And I'll tell you this. I like the second birth a lot better than the first one. And then there's time just a few thousand years ago that God came to this earth. He robed himself in flesh. And he came and he died on a cross. And we are so thankful because everything we believe and teach, it's, it's centered. It's, it's, found, it's foundation is on the cross. But then he told us to not worry because he's coming back again. And scripture tells us more about the second coming than even the first. And I'm happy to tell you I'm more excited. As, as incredible as that first coming was, I'm more excited about the second coming. When God is first and we are second. He can change the world. Why? Why? As you stand to your feet. Why? Don't, as you stand, though, don't, don't stop listening. Because I'm almost done. Why? If God is as powerful as he says he is. And we're filled with his spirit. Why is not more change happening in the world? Why are we? Man, we got the power. Could it be that one of the reasons is because the people who are filled with his spirit 
who are filled with his spirit are just a little bit too focused on themselves. And my situation, my calling, my ministry, my anointing, my, my problems, my prayers, my... When instead God says, I'm writing your... I'm the author and the finisher. I'm the one who writes the story. And you keep interceding and praying against my story. Why? Because I'm taking you into uncomfortable chapters. And you're getting frustrated because it's making you uncomfortable. It's making you feel frustrated and sad and discouraged. But if you really trusted me, you would know I'm the author and if I already promised to you that I'm not ever leaving or forsaking you, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world, then it doesn't matter what happens in this chapter. If I'm with you and I'm the author, then let me write your story. Because if you do, yes, you're always going to be second. And the faster you embrace that, the quicker you will be what God has called you to be. And you will get there with more joy. And so right now, I believe God is working to develop some things in some people, and he's working to prepare you for the next chapter. And the next chapter may not be one of pomp and circumstance. It, it might be one of betrayal. It might be one of, of pain. But just know, God is with you. God is writing your story. And if you can just find a place right now to begin to talk to him about that and begin to submit your will to his, like Jesus did in the garden, to where you say, God, I have a prayer and a hope, but not my will, thy will be done. I am putting myself second. I don't want to just pray for my comfort, my desires, my plans. God, I, I willingly place myself number two because I want my life to reflect your glory, your plan, your purpose, God. Help me, Jesus.